Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Securities, Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to have uh, Security Confidential alum join us again, Mr. Chris Rock. If you remember the last show, uh, he's he is a good guy, a cyber mercenary, over 30 years of experience in the field and has spoken at DEF CON, Black Hat. He's very well known in our community. Chris, I know it's early over in Australia. Thank you for joining us. This is... Uh, a privilege again to have you here. Thanks for having me back. I didn't get banned, so that's it's all good. No, uh, you know, uh, again, our, our motto here is education and honesty, and you really brought some good things to the table, and, and that's what this community needs. If we're serious about cyber, then we're not going to sweep things under the rug because it's an inconvenient truth. I agree. I agree. The good and the bad. And the, the good and the bad, you know, and, you know, let's in fact start with an easy one. I mean, the good stuff, have you seen, or the easy stuff, have you seen a change in the demand profile for uh, hiring people? And what does the talent pool look like since we last spoke? Have you seen it? Yeah, so I see recruiters now being more frank with candidates. And what I mean by that is if you're you're new to the industry and you're looking for a job, the recruiter, instead of sweet-talking the uh, imp potential employee, they'll tell them that you can't just come out of a university and go straight to a job. You need to do X, Y, Z. We want to see boot camps. We want to see certifications. We want to see you know internships before you get in because it's a competitive field. And I, think, I don't know if I mentioned the figures last time, but in Australia there were 600 jobs, uh, security jobs in the industry uh, in the month of, I think it was August. And there was okay. uh, two positions that were for new people in the industry. The rest were five years plus. I, and it makes sense. I mean, people are looking for that experience base, but I think there might be some room for brilliance in there too. You, you do find that odd person, at least we do every now and then that, is a very young person and has a passion about this topic and has been in the good guy hacking quote unquote business for maybe a part of their teen years. And <laughs> they're yeah, no, coming to the, yeah, you know, they're coming to the table with a lot of knowledge in some instances. Um, yeah. And the thing is, uh, there's a lot of people coming in with passion, but whether they can mix that up with the skill as well, that's the two. Everyone's like yeah. keen and passionate and, you know, doing 18 hours a day, but can you, do you have the chomps to pull it off? So, you know, do you have that knowledge? And obviously you've found some people that do that. Uh, I find it very, very difficult to find those sort of people. It is very <clears throat> difficult. I, I say that a little bit tongue in cheek because we've also had our stories of not so good people. I hit and miss. Hit, and, hit or miss. Okay. But um, I, I will say this, that, <clears throat> Uh, some of our best members on the engineering team, and some of them have uh, unfortunately left us, and they've gone on to some very well-known companies and hold uh, very good positions. Those guys didn't have a college degree. No, uh, I, I totally agree with that. And, and you'll find, and the problem with our industry is if you employ a, a good engineer at I'm going to use rough figures, like New York figures, $120,000, $150,000 a year. You train them up for two years and then they can go work wherever they want for, you know, two fifty, three hundred, And it's very hard to keep those skilled engineers because you've got to compete with the, with those salary ranges because 
if they're already being trained up, they're worth gold in the industry. They, they absolutely are. You know, we we've had Okta hire away four people from us, and yes, I said it. <laughs> they're not supposed to do that, and and I know the attorneys will say there's legal. They technically didn't. Okay, fine. Call it whatever you want. But there's four ex-rhinos working at Okta right now. So you need to fire five shit people and then just watch it flow downhill, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, uh, uh, that's something. Are you seeing people with more of an AI background enter or some other adjunct areas which may not be traditional. If you You're right. I mean, I, I speak to people who come to me looking for work or, or do I know somebody that, that can assist them who are data scientists by trade. And, you know, data science four years ago was, you know, that was big money. That was quarter of a million dollar jobs. Now they're moving to InfoSec and they're thinking that they need to start from scratch. But that's not the case. If you're a data scientist, you are AI, LLM, ready you know what i mean like this stuff for me to learn ai llm i have to start from scratch and th that might be uh, no disrespect for a data scientist it might be a six to 12 month journey for me to then you know be any good at what i'm doing these people already have uh a lot you know three or four plus years experience so to answer your question yes i'm seeing data scientists come in and they will kick ass in this ai field you know what Let's park that one for a second because that okay. would be a natural segment right into okay. AI. But before we get there, because that's going to be a big topic, and and I and our audience wants your input on it, and I want it too. But um, before we do that, you were in our last call uh, doing a little bit of research on the whole ecosystem of setting up a banking charter and hedge funds, and you know, creating an automated ecosystem of. Financial, a financial company, uh, shall we say? Is there any uh, thing that you can share there as to yeah, how? Yeah, so the answer is yes, I can. But unfortunately, it doesn't move you away from AI to come back to AI because I am now in the delves of AI, okay. <laughs> creating creating cases and models in in uh, AI to then do what I need to do. So I'm in my current research in what you said, private equity and finance and banking regulation, I'm looking at how these people harness at a, at a base, basic level chatbots, but then it goes beyond that. So these companies are now working on, and institutions are working on, can I move money from account to account? Can I do this to this? And then the bot is essentially doing the transactional based stuff as well. So I'm, I'm researching the, uh, the cases, like how they're using LLM, AI, whatever language you want to use to actually do that and try to break those cases. Now, when I do research, I don't just see what other people are doing. I create my own, um, chat boss, for example, um, and do my own transactional based case study. So at the moment in my research field, I'm actually building those cases out. Uh, and it might be basic examples like you know, if anyone's seen Harry Potter and the sorting hat, it might be a basic example of, you know, what hat do I belong in and looking at the language flow. And then once I've created a case, uh, when I say a case, it's essentially a flow. Um, what are your characteristics? You know, it might be, say, 30 questions and the sorting hat will say, bang, but then I have to wait on what house do you want to be in. And then uh, using that example, I might have 
uh, cases that extend on that. So multiple cases again. And when I say case, it's almost like a function. Like if you're booking a trip to go to Japan, you might yep. have booking a flight and then there'll be accommodation and then car hire. Each of these things are cases. How do you want to pay for that? And then they all link together. So I'm looking now at flaws in my own cases to find out where AI and LM fall over. Hmm. Have you looked at the drug trade and how money is moved? Uh, so the answer is yes, I, and I wanted to do a DEFCON talk on it, and then I was advised by my lawyers that it's the one area of the US system that you don't want to muck with when you start. I was going to actually set up my own ph ph pharmacist, you know, with fake licenses and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so the answer to your question is yes, but I was told if you're going to avoid something, avoid that one in the US. I'll tell you why I asked it. Um, if you look at you're looking at the checkboxes yep. that need to be checked. Yep. I would step, and this is just a suggestion, Man. because you might be interested, it might be interesting what you're going to find here. Uh, if you step one step back, who is asking those requests might have a bigger impact. So, and the reason for that is, if I as an individual want to move a large sum of money from Australia to the US, it will have exactly what you're saying. There'll be lots of check boxes and, you know, I, I'll get the probe that I don't want. Um, however, if a financial institution in Australia says we need to move $50 million in cash on an airplane as part of a banking reconciliation to the United States, there's no questions asked about it. Okay. okay. And, and that is how money from illicit trades is often moved. It's moved by banks in the home countries in which these transactions took place. And, and if we don't think there's any corruption there, well, you know, uh, you know. Yeah, you, you, you seem very knowledgeable. I think that's your DEFCON talk for next year. I, you know, I, I want, I'd love to do something like that, but we always get in trouble, man. I, yeah. you know, every time we get down, I, you know, I might give it a shot. Why not? Why not? We, we always get yelled at by somebody comes and say, you can't say that. And then, uh, you know, customers will get mad. Why do you know this? But this was actually on NPR. Um, and that's where I learned about it. You know, okay. I, the, I think it was a story on NPR. Uh, or or CNN or so one of it was on a major. If you Google it, you'll find it okay. that if the settlement transaction is from institution to institution, a lot of things can be done, no questions asked, check boxes bypassed. Okay. So, so if you create that deep fake company, a banking company with a charter, and that banking company with a charter wants to move a pile of gold well oh uh, man it's, 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 it sounds like check it out I mean, that's, yeah. I, I, you know check it out tell me you know next time you're here I, yeah. i'd love to if you run across it see what you find because i i could be totally wrong but that this is no no you're, you're spot on and you wouldn't believe the stuff that goes on in the industry that in the normal people don't hear about i mean if people who sell marijuana for example legally if they can't put their money in federal banks because even though the states approve it, the feds don't. That's right. So they get piles of cash and they put them in things like storage containers and, you know, rental storage. 
and they've got all this cash that smells like dope and they're putting things like glad, you know, these, you know, those, those smell fresh things in these bags to get rid of the smell before they can use it. And there's stuff like that goes on in, in like California and Colorado that, that that's, it just happens because they're stuck between a state and a federal based system. That's right. And, you know, and it is not good for them. No. And it's not good for the state. I mean, if you think about this, this is detrimental to everyone. Oh, yeah. Um, the state to collect taxes on it. I assume that that's the point at which they can put it in the bank because the state's going to get this cash in taxes. Yep. And then they can do with it whatever they do with it. But it would be much cleaner if that money could be deposited. And, and I'm sure people... I mean, at some point, you really don't want people to know that there's a warehouse nope. full of money sitting out there. No, nope. and, and and then the proprietaries is you know trustworthy they can. You got ten bags of cash, and how many were reporting you know taxable revenue on? It's like nine sounds good, you know, instead of ten. So uh, let me ask you: lang natural language processing. It's so in your research in this has come a long way. I mean, what we have seen, I, I can tell you, since the advent of ChatGPT. We have seen stage by stage a real improvement in something as basic as phishing emails. Uh, yes. And, and they've and, gotten uh, good. They've gotten really good. And, and it, it does clean up the language. And it's funny that I speak to people in my business, like you would in yours, graphic designers and all that sort of stuff, and they're out of a job. Because all of these functions that normally done by people like them, create me a logo, create me a website, you know, create me marketing emails are gone because even, you know, even me can create a marketing email now by using things like ChatGPT, which are, you know, somewhat something that I would use to pay somebody to do. Now, can you harness that power to accelerate the checkbox ticking? Yeah, the answer is yes, and that's what I'm working on right now. So essentially, I'm looking at things like um, using multi bots to do a function that I would have to do manually, and not only that, but I mean, you could think of uh, the scammers, for example. If I was a Nigerian scammer doing those whole romance scans, talking to a hundred different rich women in the US, why should I have to type and remember what I've done? Um, you know, talking to this person, did I say I had kids or I'm 28 years old or I'm 32, depending on my target, you can use these bots just to chat to these women, um, you know, and send emails and, and communicate that way and then collect money that way. So you have a set script, like essentially like a, I, I don't know if you got use in Dark Rhino, you use things like SDRs. Do you use SDRs in your business or? Yeah. 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 So, absolutely. so those, absolutely. Yeah. So for those who don't know what an SDR sales development representative I tell an SDR, I need you to sell my product. And then I will give them a script. And the script will be, ask this question, ask that question. And it's essentially, I'm going to use the word, uh, it probably politically incorrect, but it, it's monkey work. It's essentially read this script. If the client's saying no, tell them about this feature. And it's a whole yeah. set process. Now, once you have that whole set script process, that's AI written all over it. Why should I pay somebody in... Eastern Europe to do that SDR function when I can get a bot to do exactly the same function. So I'll use it for work purposes, but I can also use it for that checkbox research purposes that I'm doing now by having a beautiful script. Well, I'll tell you where, at least in my experience, the wheels fall off the bus in this. Okay. And that is 
you know, as a services company, which is what we are, um, you can be three things. You can be a commodity, you can be a service, or you can be an experience, right? So if we're doing commodity-based transactions, I'm with you all day long. I don't need anybody. I'm going to bot that puppy out and let it let her run like there's no tomorrow. If Even if I'm going to be a service... I can eliminate 90% of the human transaction, probably even more than that. And I'll give you a story that happened to me personally on that here just recently with an identity theft. Um, But if you're going to be an experience, that is very difficult to do today with a bot. So if it's a premium offering and, and the customer experience is an intricate part of the USP, then I would argue... At least right now, maybe a year from now, this won't be true. But at least right now, that's a tough one to do. You're right. And and my, for me, to get that experience, you've got to go through that first step process first. You know, that whole, yeah. how does the client know about you, communication. And that can all be SDR'd out, if that makes sense. Or in my case, in yours, AI'd out. Um, yeah. To get them, and then, and the beauty of, I mean, if you, if you're in sales, you guys on the call already know this. If you're in sales, you know you'll get an SDR to ring a hundred people, and two will be a warm lead that goes to a salesperson, which is then the experience. And then you have a pre-sales tech meeting to sell the deal, and then there's the, like you said, the experience. But it's that initial hard work that can be automated, uh, and if it can be perfected, and and the beauty of like an SDR function, also an AI, is it's not going to be right straight away. You're going to have breaks in the script. Um, and then the SDR report back to me saying, this is not working. Client saying there's a product that does it better than you. How do I answer that? And it's the same with AI. You're essentially looking at your cases. How can I improve on that case to get around? That person thinks I'm scamming them. How do I get around that? How do I build trust? Maybe I send them money first before I ask money to be sent over. Well, Chris, there's the million-dollar question is how do you build trust? And that comes from large language models, and that is experience. And if you're in sales, I'm in sales, you're in sales, That you, leveraging somebody like that is the key to building that. So you're looking for you know long-term professionals who know how to sell to SMBs and enterprise and using that knowledge to build uh, that trust which comes with time. It's not a quick thing. I mean, you, you and I, I've been working with companies for maybe five years before they spend a dollar with me. And it's one of those long-term uh, experiences. Absolutely. I, I'm i going to venture though. Again, this is my personal experience. So I'm just speaking from that, that yeah. the more we go towards an environment, which is totally automated, the easier it will become to hack that environment. Oh yeah, agree. It, it is going to be a gold mine. Um, if there was such a thing as an unextraditable country, there would be loads of people there living the good life. Because I, I'll give you a real example. I had um, my identity was stolen, and it was used to create, of all things, a brokerage account. Okay, and the only reason I found out about it is because the company that the brokerage account was created in sent me a marketing snail mail that had the wrong address printed on it. And I was like, all right, okay, now I know what's going on. Now this organization, they're like 
Uber. Uber has no customer service representatives or not one that you can reach with a readily known phone number anyways. They're a brokerage. They're a bank. They're a chartered bank technically. There's no way to get a live human being there. Right? The entire process of opening an account and to even closing account is done completely online automatically. So what is someone to do that has had identity theft happen to them? As it turns out, the only way I got any attention from them is when I actually filed a real police report and really filed a complaint with the FTC of identity theft and sent that to them that I actually got a response from a real human being. Because until then, they're like, well, we don't care. You know, the bots were just like, so what? They didn't care. And what that shows to me is that if I want, and it's a big brokerage, uh, you know, I'll say it. it You know, it was those guys, you know, terrible customer service experience there. But you, how is it that you have regulatory oversight, but you have no means of addressing something as fundamental as identity theft, which is not a unique thing today. It is a very common thing. And you have processes that you've built that are checking boxes, but are not verifying anything and are going through and and they'll fight tooth and nail on any kind of regulation you want to bring to the table to curtail this. Wow. So, you know, there's word to the wise, you know, if you want to open a fake account, that's one company you could do with that with quite easily. <laughs> yeah. And can you imagine dealing with a company that doesn't even exist? You know, a police report goes nowhere because there's just no company and it just yeah, nowhere to is- report to. There is no p- person behind the. See, and luckily for you, obviously they've got a legal department that answers those, you know, inquiries to help you. But uh, I mean, they've essentially outsourced their whole support model. Yeah. To a bot. Yeah. But that also means that you know that that process has not been QA'd. I mean, they may say it has been, but I don't believe it is. And someone like you will take about five minutes to find (laughs) where the gaps are in that. And you'll be off trading shares, especially when they're putting, uh, I don't know if they ever had this offer, but other brokerages have had offers of being able to put, like if you open an account with us, we'll put 500 bucks in it for you. Well, all right, Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse, Uncle <laughs> Jesper, and everybody else. <laughs> then, and, and the thing is, I'll ask you a question. Would you, as a researcher yourself, would you like to come up against a bank teller or a bot? Like what would you, your success of breaking a bot versus a bank teller? I would take the bot. Okay, so I would take the, I would take the bank teller. Because a bot has been at least, well, I'm hoping it's been looked at by somebody like me to rule that out. But I can tell you, I could probably fool 75 out of 100 bank tellers with social engineering. Whereas with a bot, it's straight tech. And, I, and I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I don't give a shit what tool I use. Whatever is the quickest, the easiest and the laziest. So I prefer the easiest tool. And that's why I'm saying bot, because open up the code and I'd be diving through it looking that's- for... All right, what is this thing actually doing? And 
let's go poke holes in this process and see where I might be able to press on something. Because there might be a good chance that if someone like you designed it, I won't find that. But no, if I do find... <laughs> I'm sorry? There'll always be a way. Now, even no, if I yeah, designed it. If it's designed it. by a human, there, there's going to be somewhere there'll be a flaw in it. But the thing is that once I find that, I have no resistance to entry then. I got it. So in your case, let's say you broke the broke the bot, would you use it yourself or would you, like, it's like gold mining. Would you go find gold or would you sell gold pans to, you know, people who want to look for gold? And what I mean by that would, why not sell I know exactly access? what you mean by that. And I'll tell you, there is no money in finding gold. All the money is in selling the pickaxes and the shovels and the maps. Yep. And the yep. tents and yep. all that other jizz jazz. Yep. So I would not use it myself at all. So you just you would you could essentially if you're a criminal, you could just sell access to the bot. Rent a There's bot. There's an entire empire of networks out there that do just that. Yeah. And a lot of them are actually well known to the authorities. It's a question yep. of volume and time yep. to get to a lot of those and and your regional ability to even get to some of those people. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you want to go arrest somebody in Russia, good luck with that. Have yeah. Do it all you want. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Have at it. But yeah, that that's um, I I would sell it, and that's what I'll, look at ransomware as a service. How well has it pro proliferated, Chris? Oh, it's absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Right. I mean, I'll say, and Emily, I'm going to pick on you. She's our producer. She's a wonderful producer. Uh, and she's one of the most honest people I know. She, she'll never do it. But if she wanted to, she could spend a little bit of money. She doesn't, she's not a coder, hire out ransomware as a service, buy stolen credentials, and you're off to the races, you know? It, it's, <laughs> and, and what you're doing there is playing the odds, right, Chris? You know that it's a numbers yeah. game. Yep. So there, you're, you're going to run into companies that are very well protected that you're not going to be able to do really good things or bad things with, I should say. And there will be others that give cybersecurity lip service that are going to be ripe for the picking. Yep. And yeah, I, I use it as the nightclub scenario. You're in a nightclub. You only need to leave with one girl. So ask out 100. One will say yes. That's I know that's uh, rude in me saying, but it's the same sort of numbers game we're talking about when you're dealing with you know, trying to you know, get money off somebody or something like that. So now when you're researching AI and you look at the what's going on here with natural language processing, you don't have to ask out one person. You can now do that in parallel. You could be at 100 bars in the city at the same time, which is something yeah. what, that was not possible before. Correct. And, and, and once, I, once I have control of a bot in a bank, then I can transfer all money from other people's accounts. Like it's absolute chaos once you're in. Yeah. And... How long do you think it would take them to discover that? Yeah, it, yeah, it's a good question. I suppose the, the first the first is going to be complaints from the customer. Why have I got no money? Now, if you've ever been in a call center before, I don't know what, what you think the general public in terms of how much money they have in their bank account, but not if you, not much, they have essentially less than a week's pay. So if they lose their job, they're screwed. So if yeah. you've got somebody with, you know, sub three or $400 in their bank account, they'll know really bloody quickly and start those complaints will start coming in when you know doing one after the other. So I, I think you've only got a, maybe a window, a two or three hour window, probably maybe three or four hours to do more research before they work out what's going on. 
Do you think if the um, amounts are small enough, you could it would run a lot longer? Yes, it's a, it's a, you're thinking spot on. But what we do, we do something differently. So what we do instead of targeting uh, poorer people who have no money, we target bigger people who have got a lot of money that are not as uh, is not as quick to verify those transactions. So we might have a minimum. So there's no point me robbing a, a thousand people with less than two hundred bank uh, bank accounts because it's this it's work required. I know it's AI work, but it's still work required. It's easy for me to target people with a minimum net you know net value of ten million dollars who have a lot of transactions and use those accounts because they're less likely to be seen quickly. Because if you're hand to mouth, you really know how much money you're going to bank at any one, one time. You're absolutely right. Whereas if you're living in Beverly Hills, you probably have all kinds of frivolous transactions. And exactly. You know, a couple hundred dollars missing may not even... Wouldn't even register. Wouldn't even register anywhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, let me... Um, you know, going back to your scenario of if you encountered a bot or a real teller, you know, which way to go. There's a real problem in our industry uh, that I'm sure you've probably run into is that it's no longer, it's still difficult, but it's absolutely feasible to defeat MFA. Yes. Okay. And if you look at... Uh, the most secure publicly available verification systems, they're all based on some kind of MFA to a large degree. Yep. Right? Where the chain falls apart is that I can spoof the SIM. Yes. Right. And that yes. involves paying somebody off at the phone carrier and having them, I don't even have to hack it, just slipping them a couple hundred bucks and saying, hey, man. I need to move the SIM from this IMEI phone <laughs> to this one. And now I'm you and I'll get your MFA requests. Right? Yep. This fella lost 20 million bucks to, and it was done by a bunch of teenagers in New York City. You know, this is why I love having you on the show because I get to talk about stuff that's, <laughs> that's a awesome. little bit uh, totally off the, off the charts here a little bit. But yeah, they were there were a bunch of kids, literally teenagers, who um, spoofed the SIM, transacted the funds, moved the funds. I think the FBI got back a chunk of it, but not all of it. Then he sued the phone carrier. Okay. As okay, and now this has become somewhat of a landmark case because the courts sided with the telephone carrier saying they're not responsible. That's crazy, isn't it? That you, you I, I can't make this stuff up. Just Google it. It's, it's crazy. you'll crazy. find it. Right. So in that scenario, you're uh, getting back to the teller versus the bot. If you can crack the teller 75% of the time, and in this case, the teller is an employee of the, uh, telecom provider what do you to do what i mean yeah yeah you, you, you're screwed uh, you're essentially screwed and, and you, you raised that the telco example in new york 
as an Australian citizen who needs a phone contract, I mean, as an American, you just walk in, you show your SSN, you get your phone contract. As an Australian, I've got to go through more hurdles. Now, all you got to do is find the right person who gets commission based on how much nonsense they sell you at AT&T. And I can get, he knows what numbers to put in for the SSN so it doesn't get flagged. So all of a sudden, I, on a normal business transaction, I've found a guy that giving him money will help my cause. So you're, in terms, you're screwed with, even with MFA. You're screwed with MFA. Is there, I would figure that maybe the banking community, and since you're researching this, might be, might have been working on some ways to detect um, the spoofing of a SIM as um, a signal. Not yet. Not, not not that I've seen. Not not even, not, not even, no, no. They're, I mean, they're early research, but nothing that's that public yet about what, what they're doing about moving from uh, providers. Because remember the, it's done at the telco level, and it, the tel- uh, in the US, same as Australia, people move SIMs all the t- uh, move carriers all the time. I mean, we had sure. a we, we had a telco that dropped yesterday or the day before ten million people offline of a country of twenty mil, and then half the population well, essentially have the option now moving to another telco. As a bank, you can't really you're not in a really position to block, you know, to look for that sort of transaction from an MFA provider going to another phone. You are an expert in SIM and automation with SOAR. Is this something that could be picked up at the SOC level? Um, and, and, and Yeah, the answer is yes, technically, but I haven't seen it used in any company before. So I have not, not seen oh, – oh, let me rephrase that. So I'm seeing a lot of companies do risk rating. So if you're – if your location is now in – if you've, you've gone to China, for example, use China, Russia, England, for example, uh, and, and then you then get a higher risk rating in a SOAR function. So if you're travelling, um, even if it's not a uh, – even if, say, those teenagers, for example, were offshore and their phone all of a sudden was offshore, they'll get a higher risk rating. So the answer is I have seen it but not to what – I would like to see in the industry. We're probably another two years off. And you gave a great example. That That's gold. Uh, but technically, we can do it. I just haven't seen it in practice. Yeah, I you know, I'm actually going to hit up our SIM guys and I'll see if we can. I want to get the IMEI number of the device. Yeah. And if that, and it should be verified all the time. If that number changes, that should yep. be an instant alert to shut the identity down. Yeah, and, and, and there's ways to do so, it. I mean, people are using things like Jamf and all that sort of stuff on iOS devices and stuff like that. For those who don't know Jamf, um, you know, m- mobile management of, of devices, PC yep. or phone. And, and so you could plug in Jamf into your SOAR function, location-based, IMEI, um, transfer of number, all that sort of stuff. It, you could definitely do it. I've just never seen it. Yeah, that, otherwise, how... How do you confirm the identity? Because the phone is such a critical part of the yep. MFA process. Yep. That seems to be a big, giant loophole. <laughs> and, and everything's a loophole. I mean, you look at UBKs, you know, UBK yeah. has seen it. And, and you think, well, UBK is great because it has to be on the person, but it just means I'm going to hack to that person's desktop. Who, who takes their UBK out? Like, you just leave the thing in. You know what I mean? Like, it's, there's a flaw in everything. How many times have you walked into people's cubicles and actually seen passwords sticky noted to their computers? Either on, on their computer or under their keyboard. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not and people think ah ha ha they're just like well, war stories. No, no, it's it's true. It's it's true. It's absolutely true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. And I don't even have to take it now with a phone. I can just take a picture of that. I have yeah. all the data. Yeah, yeah, the best place is go to um go to printing rooms. So just go to the printer and just walk around the floor grabbing printouts. Man, you get all this information straight from the printer. Like because <laughs> everyone prints Ghost does something and they go, oh, wait a couple of minutes, go pick it up from the printer. You just stop. And then if it doesn't print out, you just go, oh, that sucked. I'll go print it again. There's, there's no alert. Oh, Chris, you know, we had a um, guest on, Peter Warmka. He's an ex-CIA, real world spy, you know, handler and fantastic person. And I'm glad he was a good guy because you don't want that guy going <laughs> to the dark side. But uh, do you know how much value there is in garbage? It'd be, it'd be huge, absolutely huge. Right? So if you want to learn about someone, their trash apparently will give you the kind of data that you're talking about with the print room. Yeah, uh, uh, I and bet. People will just throw stuff out. Like, they'll throw out bank statements. Yeah. They'll throw out their life insurance policy statement. They'll, they'll, they'll pitch, you know, their medical health uh, explanation of benefits. It's a, here's a, here's an example, a question for you. Do, how do you deal with that sort of like paperwork in your house? You know, you get a phone bill or do you, what do you rip it in four and put it in two different bins or do you just you know, go? I actually have fire? a, I have a shredder back here. I'm, I can't lift it up right now, but it's, I do that. That's and good. I have a really big, I live out in the country. So we have okay. a really big fire pit. Yep. That's and, right. uh, we go out and we uh, will burn it, and then you know what? That becomes part of the compost pile. That's that's good. So but, you know the thing. The thing is, even someone like yourself that takes these great precautions, your identity still got done over. Oh the yeah, so really? But it's easy to do. It's so that's the problem. So that's his well, problem. I, I know. I know where it even came from. It came from the physician's office because they got hacked, and okay. those people. Oh, they're the worst. When you when you fill that out here in the U.S., they have your name, address, date of birth, social security number. You don't need anything more. Yeah, there it is. You can recreate Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck at random as much as you want. <laughs> so, uh, shelf babies. I got to get to that. Um, what are shelf babies? So, I did a talk in DefCon 23 on how you could kill somebody virtually and how you could also birth somebody. So, when you could birth someone, well, you talked before about, you know, Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse, and all that sort of stuff, is you could create a <laughs> fake person and put them on the shelf. And what I mean by putting them on the shelf is when you have a, a baby, they're pretty much useless. They're zero. You know what I mean? Like in real life and in virtual, babies are pretty useless. But when a baby turns 18, all of a sudden, they can get, you know, personal loans, credit cards, life insurance. They can get jobs and they can do all that sort of stuff. They can get married and all that sort of stuff. So if you put a fake baby on the shelf and wait till they're 18, all of a sudden, you have a vehicle to borrow money to use for other crimes and to create companies and all that sort of stuff. So if I create, using AI as an example, created a 1,000 fake people, wait till they turn 18, take out, you know, a 1,000 loans, 1,000 life insurance policies, kill them off, and use that money then to do other crimes. Now, in the U.S., one thing that uh, they've done is that they've made it impossible to, unless you're next of kin or um, you have some valid reason to, to get their birth certificate. 
Because it used to be that you used to be able to just apply for a birth certificate for anybody. Yeah, and, that, and that's good. But that, that stops identity theft. Like, as in, I grab somebody's birth certificate and then scrub out a few numbers and put other details on. But I'm not talking about, I'm creating a, a person for oh, real. You're totally creating a person. So, yeah. This is so, uh, and this came about when I was, um, uh, I, I've got four children myself and two of them were home birth. So then you go through the process of registering a child in Australia or the US, exactly the same is you get at uh, the midwife or doctor to fill out a half a form, which is like the death industry. Like the doctor fills out how you died and a funeral director when you die is the other half and same as a, um, uh, a birth, but it's actually easier because obviously there's no funeral director. So it's the parents fill out half a form and the midwife slash doctor fills out the other half a form. The doctor midwife information is all public information, registration number, where you were, contact number, and then you create a fake person that doesn't exist. Uh, and then you can create, as I said, thousands of people and put them on the shelf. So it's a real idea. What it's a, a real great document. way to circumvent immigration laws. Oh, yeah. It's freaking fantastic, and there's and there's flaws. And you get a real. Well, who wants a fake identity? Just ah, get a get real, a real Australian passport. Exactly, and that's the, that's what I talked about in my DefCon talk. Uh, is it is the whole death and birth, so you can do both, um, and then th doing things like loans and setting up fake companies and all that sort of stuff. Oh, well, it's actually a real company. It's just by a fake person. Um, so you could use a thousand people to get loans to then give those that money as salaries to other fake people. And then all of a sudden, it's a rabbit roaring of hell. Um, so, yeah, so I, I wrote a book on that. Um, but but is, yeah, you did. And, and Chris, but isn't this readily traceable once the authorities start looking into it? Yeah, if you look for common things, I think there was a TV show that used my information and they used a common address where everything, everyone was birthed at. So I think there was like in the movie or TV, there was I think like, I think 20 kids registered to the same address. So you need to be very well organized to look for, to make sure that those things don't, don't stand out. Uh, the other thing is this flaw, like I said, there's flaws within the floor. So, um, when you, if you're uh, in Australia, we have Aboriginal people in the US, you have Native Americans. When they start, if they go into the schooling system, the school system, when they turn, say, five or six, says, can we have a copy of your birth certificate? Now, some of those remote communities don't register births. They just, they've got no interest in going through that system. But what they'll do, because the government wants people registered, they want to know who, who exists for things like planning freeways and you know all that yeah, stuff, sure. and hospitals and stuff like that. So you can retrospectively register a birth when the child is five years old. So you can actually cut five years off that whole 18 year shelf baby period. Um, it's, it's a retrospectively somebody who's five. So you, you can register a child who's five who, who didn't have a birth certificate. So in other words, you've only got 13 years for that person to be on the shelf to be useful. It's kind of getting to a quick half-life. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the beauty is you can, kill, you can kill them too. You can yeah. birth them and kill them. No one's complaining that someone's dead. I mean, you were, you, you, you were the first person to let the cops know that there was an issue with your identity theft. But what if you're the, you know, you're using virtuals. They're not whinging that something's happened to them. It's beautiful. So you've got, a, when I say yeah. victimless crime, but your shelf babies, they're not whinging. Yeah. And no one's going to miss them. Nope, nope. And then you, and when you've had enough, you kill them off. You have a life insurance policy, kill them, million dollars that gets invested into the next group. <laughs> That's, that is incredible. Uh, why? So, you know, this gets all these examples that we're talking about are not top secret. Nope. They're, they're anyone in 
full public view can go and find these stories on their own if they're willing to do the legwork and the research to look it up. And I show people how to do it live. It's on, on record, on video. There you go. Right. So what is the problem? Like you hear all this fear mongering with AI right now, right? To me, AI is just really, there's no intelligence there. It's not consciousness, it, nope. but it is finding pre-existing patterns and making us aware of it. The data is already there. It's, yep. It's not like it is. Uh, it's something that's it's coming out with some great secret, and it's letting everybody know. No. It's, so it's the same thing, you know. AI has made that research process a lot easier. It made the execution a lot easier. But does it really warrant all that fear mongering? So it's a great question, by the way. So the the thing is. The government didn't even fix the issue I presented on a basic issue with births, deaths, and 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 and, uh, and marriages. They didn't even fix that. So now all of a sudden, this fear mongering about AI is you couldn't even fix something as easy as non AI. You got no chance of fixing an AI AI based system. But for for those in the security industry, you know, on this podcast, is AI is freaking awesome for looking for patterns that you can't see. So, for example, I'm in the same business. And I have customers who've got 7, 14, 30, 90 days of data. By having one year of data in block storage and running AI models looking for inconsistencies, the stuff that we see in the AI models over a year that we can't see in those shorter periods of time where we start seeing patterns like shit that happens on Christmas Eve at 11 p.m. or or internal staff things that we haven't noticed but we start seeing patterns over a multi-year period so uh, that for me no one can go through that data manually and these you know the ai uh model i use ai is probably the best way looking for those pattern recognition is is shit that the human eye can't do that's right uh, it's made it easier to point those things out um but right now politically it seems to be something that people want at least in the united states the politicians want to talk about and say ai is dangerous it must be reined in you know, in some ways, it might be doing us a favor by pointing out these flaws. The real flaw is that we, the people, are not correcting some foundational things. That you, you, you're, you're so right. And, and whether it's AI or magic in the future or magic in the future, it's just government nonsense, you know, trying to take control of something that they haven't controlled previously. Why now control this one? It's just a, it's a, just a change of narrative. I think they're worried, and where I worry, is the mass mass problems that you can do. When I say mass, M-A-S-S, -S, is I can cause havoc by birthing 100,000 people. Imagine doing it with millions at a time. Um, you know, the whole I can steal money from banks, one, two, three banks, and do transactional base. Um, you know, maybe I can steal 50 million in a night. Then all of a sudden I can do a billion dollars in a night using this automated. I think that's the worry is it's a mass problem, um, M-A-S-S, -S, that, that, that I foresee is AI is doing that uh, that work. Also, you've got things like it's a job killer as well. Okay, so that genie is not going back in the box. It's gone. It's, it's way gone. We, 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 as soon as we put automated checkouts at, at supermarkets, that started, you know, it's driverless cars, IDing at airports. I mean, you know, doing, doing that mass AI functionality about looking at people, 
in an airport looking for criminals and all that sort of stuff. That's it's there where people love love the tech in terms of uh, governments love the tech. So why not use? We're looking at the negatives that jobs are going to go away, and they will go away, just like boilermakers are no more today. Yeah. Yep. And that Film. was one of the biggest unions in the 1900s. So yep. they will go away. But instead of focusing on that, I think if you look at humanity as a whole, we have adapted and evolved in pretty unique ways. We're really good at it. We're really good at it. And yep. this might accelerate that, perhaps in a good direction. Yep. I agree. I mean, you talk about uh, AI. In, uh, what about in farming, where you've got like you know you, you can do like aerial drone footage of, of areas, and you can see flat spots in farms, and you can say, well, we're not getting as you know good good as uh, crops as we could have in that area, or weeds, where you can have like drones coming and sure. destroying weeds based on visuals. That that's exactly right. So th- th- there is. Um... I don't know. I guess the, the underlying thing is that as humans, change is always resisted by the masses, as yes. you said, M-A-S-S, yes. right? Yeah. And it's a futile effort. Everybody, you know, people resist it. You never win it. Mother Nature and the course of due progress always wins that battle. Yeah. Yep. So there's a choice is to listen to people like you and take advantage of opportunities that are presented to not only close gaps, but evolve to a better way of doing things. Yeah. And, or- and, and, and you said people like you, it's people like us. I mean, you're an expert in your trade as well and you have guests on and we're all here and we're all willing to share. Absolutely. Um, and, and we're all here ready to help. If you need help, you've got to ask for it and we can guide you. You can ignore it. That's fine. But we can advise you where it's heading because we can see it. We've been doing this crap for 30 plus years and we've seen it time and time again. You're, you're absolutely right. I hope um, you get a much larger following, Chris. And, you know, there's a lot of good that you do. <laughs> I don't. I, I, you're one, you're one of my favorite guests on the thing. I, I could, uh, there's just, we could, I could go on forever, but I know we're at the hour, but I still want to give you an opportunity to plug something. You may not have something, but if you want to bring something to light, please do. Yeah. So in terms of, uh, activities for this year, I'm just doing research this year. So nothing, but next year I'll be in the U S where I'm going to start doing some smaller conferences, not, not so much as a speaker, but it's just, I just want to, uh, collab- collaborate w- with more professionals that I normally do online, but I want to do in person. So I'm going to go, uh, and I'll start off in Dallas in February and pretty much all of next year, I'm going to go to all the B-Sides conferences that I can get to and just spend time with all different types of people, both uh, new people and experts, just to, uh, you know, just collaborate on, on what's where we're going. Well, heck, you got to hit the Columbus B-Sides or the Pittsburgh oh, B-Sides. We'd, we'd definitely. Uh, would would love to get together and uh, I love that. and host you for a little bit. Well, we'll have I a good time. That. We'll show you around town. That'd be awesome. <laughs> but Chris, it's it's always an honor. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. And as your research evolves, please share. I, I, I mean, will do. It's, uh, um, doing great work, and uh, please keep doing it. Fantastic. Thanks for your time, mate. Take care. Thanks so much. <laughs>